Welcome back to Thread. I'm your host, Jeremy, here with my co-host, Adele. How you doing? I'm well, thank you. Fantastic. And we are talking about the future of BC in the midst of the BC Liberal leadership race. Uh, we're joined today by Renee Merrifield. Welcome, Renee. Thanks for thanks for being here. No, thank you so much for having me. It's it's an honor. We're really excited to get to know you a little bit better, and um, just kind of knowing a little bit about your history from some research. It's it's kind of fascinating to hear. But I'd love to hear it from your own words. Tell us a little bit about your story. What entered you into the the game of politics, as they say? <laughs> um, Absolutely. Well, I uh, I came to the Okanagan from. Uh, just after finishing my first master's degree uh, out of Alberta. I, I, I have a very sordid, um, you know, kind of a path that got me to the Okanagan. But once I got to the Okanagan, I didn't want to leave. So I was a... Yeah, a, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, and so I had grown up in Southern California, big city girl. And so I had done a pilgrimage to the Great White North in university and uh, decided that Edmonton was not for me, minus 50, and a blizzard on my birthday in May. Oof. In May? <laughs> in oh, May. No. It oh, ended, no. It ended it for me. I'm May oh. 26th, and I was like, I had you know, planned this little uh, barbecue, and, and uh, I was like, this, <laughs> this place is hostile to life. So anyway, yeah. um, planned our exit, came to the Okanagan for a one-year stopover, and it turned into the last 25 years of my life. So there, uh, it was the late 90s, there were no jobs. I was mm. seven months pregnant with mine and my ex-husband's first. And, uh, and so there I was going, oh no, like this is maybe, a, maybe we chose wrong here. And uh, so I went and talked to my local MLA who was John Weisbeck back then. And he was in opposition because the NDP were in power. And I, I talked to him about a job and about our economy. And he said, Renee, two things. Number one, get involved with politics and become part of the BC Liberal family and help us win in 2001. And he said, and the next thing is uh, go and make your own job. Like the mm -hmm. world is your oyster and you can do anything mm -hmm. you want to. And so I did. And over the course of the last 25 years, I turned absolutely uh, debt and bootstrapping and, and a weird <laughs> Money Mart loan on a Toyota Tercel into, um, you know, a, a, a a, an enterprise that is across Western Canada, 31 companies, um, wow. you know, 11 different industries and, uh, and, an, and an enterprise that I'm really proud of and that is still going on. So I, uh, I decided about five years ago that I had one more career in me. You know, my mm. kids were getting older. I, you know, they were independent. I used to say my pastime was was being a mom. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I was like work and mom. That was it. That was my two things. So I, yeah, I decided I was either going to do a PhD and forever change and transform uh, business for women, or I was going to go into politics. And it ended up that I went into politics. I got a phone call when the snap election was called. Renee, you know, can you can you jump in in the Kelowna Mission area, which is where I live? And, uh, and so I did, I jumped in, I started bailing. I, I, it's been a wild ride, a drinking from a fire hose and trying not to drown and becoming the health critic, which is like wearing flip-flops in sand and holding back a freight train. I mean, so. also during this time period too, right? Like that's, that's quite the, the role to dive into in the midst of the pandemic. Absolutely, even um, door knocking during our election, I was right. like, wearing a hazmat suit. 
yeah. like face shield, mask. And we, you know, we had we had like scrubs on. I was ringing doorbells with this like you know hand grabber thing that you oh, use. Man. <laughs> I was like, oh my chicken. Oh this geez, I don't wild. know how I'd react if someone came up to my door and like that type of outfit and be like, I'd be terrified. Vote for me. Can you leave? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Oh, it was like, hey, I'm running for politics. How do you like me now? It was just brutal. It was just brutal. Um, and, you know, I was very fortunate in that I had the support of the outgoing MLA. You know, he's out there Burma shaving in a snow mm-hmm. blizzard that happened in October. Um, and I also had the former uh, MLA that I had gone and talked to in the 90s. Oh, wow. And uh, he was out there supporting me. So I was very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, from that perspective, I don't know if I could have done it otherwise. It was, it's really tough. It's really tough. Right. Um, and were you able to kind of pull from their, from their support base? Cause you being fresh in the game and, and having to meet people, especially during a pandemic and connect with, you know, constituency members, that must've been quite a feat. Like how did you manage to make those connections? Well, you know, I'll be honest. I, yeah, I've been a part of our community for 25 years and not just a part of our community, but a, a leader in our community. So I, I was very fortunate. Um, our very first phone poll that we did, um, you know, our, our pollster came back and said, that's incredible. You have 37% name recognition, like 37% of the people that we called knew who you were. Um, so that I, I, I did have an advantage. I did have, you know, a lot of... Um, yeah, a lot of, of presence in my community. And um, and I count that just as part of who who we are as a company and, and who I became um, mm-hmm. over the course of 20 years in business. Hmm. So I'm, I'm curious, why uh, why the Beast Liberal Party? Well, for me, and, and when I got involved back in the in the 90s, it was uh, it was the best of every world. Uh, I am, you know, I love the fiscal conservative because you, you know, we can't dispend endlessly. We're, I mean, we're suffering right now as a, as a globe. I won't just say just Canada or just BC, mm. but inflationary pressures are, are, are present and we're seeing that everything is getting more expensive. And yeah. that largely happens when you have a government that spends and spends and spends. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm a fiscal conservative, but I have, I, you know, I'm like, I'm like the Christian, you know, federal liberal. He used to say like my, you know, my pocketbook's on my right and my heart's on my left and, and his Quebecois uh, accent. And, and that's truly me. You know, I believe in the social infrastructure that we need. I believe in healthcare. I believe in childcare. I believe in, um, you know, in the absolute most, uh, you know, housing affordability. I believe in, in uh, the soft skills and the soft side of, of mental health and how we need to support our, our community and our society. But I also believe that all of that goes hand in hand with an economy and an economy mm-hmm. that is thriving and an economy that's going forward. And, you know, mm-hmm. my story, and I, I speak to a lot of, uh, you know, university groups and have so over the course of my, of my 20 years and 25 years in business. And one of the things I always say is you could be me. Like my story is not unique. I am not special. Mm-hmm. Everyone could be me. You could start a company from nothing and be a multi-billion dollar company, you know, in 20 years. And the, and the answer over the course of the last five to seven years has, has largely started to turn. You know, I get the feedback, mm. no, no, we can't be you. No, no, that isn't possible anymore. Um, and so really the, the BC Liberals, I, I think one, have a vision for prosperity and what that means, but not just for the wealthy. It was like they had a vision for prosperity for me, little old me, pregnant seven months, you know, mm. trying to start a business. Um, 
And that I think is really special and is really uh, and is really part of of the fabric or the DNA of who we are. I do think that we lost our path. I think that um, I think that we need to change and, and evolve. And I think that's an exciting time to to be running for leadership right now. Thank you for that. I, I you know, it's hearing you say that, you know, the fact that you you do believe in, in you know, our social infrastructure, but there's a necessity for you know economy to be thriving as well do you do you think that in a lot of conversations people tend to look at those as really conflicting ideas and and i guess what how do you how do you intend on kind of merging those two worlds and and seeing more of a balance well i i do think that we need to educate people um to educate them to see the end you know and mm -hmm. and i'll give a couple of examples yeah you know, understanding the the dynamic that happens with not taking care of those that are mentally ill, those that are homeless, those that are on the streets, and what that does for a downtown core, what that does right. for eroding, you know, business confidence, how that affects tourism. You know, there is, um, and you don't take care of it because of that. Like, I, I, I'm, right. I'm one that says, no, I would do it regardless. But right. there is such a positive benefit. And, you know, and I loved, I mean, I was doing a little research on who you guys are and what you do. And I apologize. I've never listened to your podcast before now, but I will. Um, it's, on my, <laughs> it's on my listen list. But, you know, one of the things that I loved was like, it's about nuanced conversations. And mm -hmm. it really is. It, you know, I talk about mental health and I go and I've, I've met with so many mayors over the course of this um of this leadership race. And one of the things that I've talked to them about and talked to superintendents, RCMP detachments and talked to, you know, the, the fire chiefs is how many calls are you guys going to that are mental health related? Mm. Well, RCMP police, uh, you know, right now is 65% on average. VPD is the highest and, you know, wow. they're having just under 70%. Mm. Think about that. The, the, high, the wow. number one line item in any municipality is their police force. Number one, they, they spend the most amount of money on it than any other. And and we're dealing with 70%, 65 to 70% of that line item is mental health related. Like think mm. about what we could do to unburden our municipalities. Think about right. what else we could be doing with that money. And, you know, mm -hmm. we don't need to reinvent a system. We don't need to, you know, to do things all over again. We can just look to other jurisdictions who have been successful like the like Portugal and say what did they do really well? Well, I mean he and Dr. Joao Galau, who who was the ar architect of that whole um, that whole design, you know he had to twin the system in order to get the political will. But what they did and what they discovered is that the system costs sixty percent less money to actually take care of people. Wow. Give them right. dignity and give them back a complex treatment and, you know, rehabilitation exercise that actually evolved all the way into retraining and into government supported jobs and into things that they could actually do and accomplish and and be valued for. And in uh, and it cost them 60 percent less money than the former system of ER triage mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. police force and, judi you know, judicial system. Think about what we could do with those funds. So they mm -hmm. are interconnected, right? The, it's really just mm -hmm. the reallocation. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, you're right. It's a reallocation. It's understanding um, the business case to be made for treating people with dignity and treating people right and taking care of them and taking care of issues. And, you know, I always use the example, we would not take an Alzheimer's patient, put them on the street and say, best of luck to you. 
Mm. Mm. Why are we doing that with our mentally ill? Why are we doing that with our mentally Mm -hmm. ill? And I could go on and on and on with stories of of individuals, et cetera, and and research, et cetera. But, um, you know, just to, you know, it's successful. It can be successful. We've had 1,782 Mm -hmm. opioid overdose deaths this year to date, just because we haven't had our last statistics from 2021 released. In that same time frame, Portugal, Mm -hmm. with their new system, has only had 26 double Hmm. the population 26 like you tell me which one we want right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean yeah i wholeheartedly agree and i think mental health is something i'm really really passionate about so um i think hearing you kind of outline the fact that these are issues that we can handle within our communities it is it is looking at the way things are currently run and kind of restructuring What is how we've always done things and and taking a step back and realizing, hey, if we really reallocate things and just shift things a certain way, we can make a significant difference in yes. in our most vulnerable populations. Yeah. With, without needing to increase taxation, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the magic. It's like no, if we just had cur- like some political courage, right, and not just you know picked a couple of little items like safe supply and decriminalization which is part of the portugal project and model but mm-hmm. if we didn't just pick those two but did the whole plan mm-hmm. we could solve it like we could solve it so um mm-hmm. i'm a i'm a big believer on you know we need to do that on everything you know right. on, on all of our issues and it's going to take more than four years but we could be making mm-hmm. progress so much progress on all of these um, over over the over time, I'll use one more example of how they're interconnected. Yeah, please. And and a lower mainland and the rest of BC example, and that is on our energy sector. Mm-hmm. If we actually understood what our energy sector is doing in terms of 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 world leadership in green technology, world leadership in human rights, world leadership on on how we extract from the earth we have so much to be proud of but we have done this either or us them you know mm. conversation rather than the and rather than the end of how our energy sector positively affects lives of all british Columbians and positively affects the lives of the globe so we've allowed a, a little bit of a of a different of a different agenda to take over and it's it's not one that's in the best interest of british Columbians. And it's not even one that's in the best interest of the of, of the environment. So I, I'm I'm pretty passionate on creating the and conversations and propelling us continually <laughs> forward on on green tech. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm. What is what does that and conversation sort of begin to look like? You know, because I mean our the, the main two topics we're gonna dive into is affordability and sustainability. And and they're the same, you know, but also, you know, w- when you look at affordability, you're like jobs, housing, all these things. And then sustainability, you're looking at, you know, the environment and all the tragedies that have happened in the last year and a half and the like fear between the two. And so when you say we need to do everything we can for the sustainability. And so you t- people say, you know, I close the mines, stop the forestry, like do all these things. And then the other side, you're like, but that's all these jobs as well. So what is in this scenario, uh, like this ants begin to look like. So I'm going to take it even one step further and say, you know, it's not just jobs, but you can't close the mines if you want electrification. Right. You absolutely have to have, you know, double the amount of mines that we have today in order to supply 
the amount of, of minerals and ore that we need for all of the electrification mm -hmm. that takes us to that green place. So yeah. it's about what are the standards that we're holding our mining industry to? How right. are they um, actually performing that extraction? And it can be done and, and it is being done. And that's the story that we have to start celebrating is that it is mm. being done in a really sustainable fashion. And it is one of the largest employers of indigenous groups and people across our country. So when we talk mm. about reconciliation, when we talk about environmental sustainability, when we talk about um, what we need for the future, yeah, we have to get real comfortable with mining, <laughs> but also get out of the way. Like right now, and just for, you know, for instance, you know, mines have to be, have so much permitting, it's ridiculous. They don't have one permitting process. They'll go through hundreds and hundreds of permits. Wow. And every single permit is through a different department, is through a different level of red tape and bureaucracy. And um, that level of uncertainty we, makes us one of the least affordable places in all of the world to do mining. Mm -hmm. And we need to get out of the way. We need, to, we need to really push forward and allow the money not to be done towards permitting, but allow the money to be done um, on environmental sustainability. The other aspect that I would say is we've got these huge research institutions, right? Like we have research institutions that we should be proud of, like UBC and all of its campuses, um, whether it's UNBC or whether it's down in Point Grey or Okanagan, University of Victoria as a few, like we have giant institutions of research mm -hmm. that are already have, have the solutions to some of our environmental issues, but we it's haven't actually implemented them. <laughs> Right. right. So we need mm. to marry our institutions with our energy sector, with our industries, with our entrepreneurs and our innovators and actually start almost becoming this living laboratory or, or incubator for the next generation of of what businesses will look like and how we can we can merge and forward green tech and, and then have our province put money where we need it to be, which is on all of those issues and all of that all of those paths forward and that economic planning that could take place. Hmm. Hmm. I, I feel like that is such a, um, such a necessary feat that we really need to, to tackle because the, the information is out there. The research is being done. Um, it's really the issues of, of bringing it into, into politics and um, it not being so politicized, um, not having to deal with so much red tape and obstacles that we, we are seeing currently. Um, what do you think could be different for you when, when, you, when you get, you know, if you were to get elected, um, how would you kind of go about dealing with those obstacles? Well, one of the things that I think politics absolutely needs is less politicians. <laughs> I mean, I, I coming from the business sector, uh, I mean, and, and anyone who is out in the real world right now knows the speed to market wins. Mm -hmm. And we are so in the dark ages when it comes to how politics run, how bureaucracy moves forward, how we can actually get things, you know, out there. So, uh, you know, for me, and someone said to me, Renee, it's just because you're new to politics. You just don't know how slow things have to go. And, you know, I, I kind of chuckle and laugh and say COVID. Because in mm. COVID, we went very fast. Mm -hmm. We got mm -hmm. things done very, True. very fast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you want to, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. But we do have mm -hmm. to get um, and have a very different outlook and have very different expectations. And one of the things that that politics does not do is measure outcomes. 
And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the business sector, you would, everyone gets measured on outcomes and, you know, mm-hmm. you stop doing things that are unproductive and you keep doing things that are highly productive. And, right. um, and I would, I would absolutely institute that across the board in, you know, in, in politics. And someone said, well, then you'd have to change bureaucracy. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> no, yes, that's I would. A, no, that's such a great point of the fact that a lot of the time people kind of bring forth these party platforms yeah. and they can be real ambitious about it. And and we look back, let's say four years later, and it's like where what what happened there? What did we didn't yeah. we didn't accomplish solid 70% of the things that you had once promised it was going to happen. So you're right in terms of kind of reassessing. I think that's a big part of And I think that also creates that exhaustion for yeah. people, right? You know, on, on the outside, when you look at politics, you feel this exhaustion. Like a lot of the people I talk to, I'm like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Like, what questions do you have? They're like, ugh, politics. And, <laughs> but the thing is that it impacts everybody. Yeah. And and so when you consistently go through every four years, two years, whatever the year ranges end up being of promises, and then they're unfulfilled, it's sort of this like, you know, d- disappointment is the gap between expectation and reality. Right. And so they're always set, I mean, you're not gonna win an election saying, we're going to do 30% of what I, I tell you we're going to do. That's not going to win you an election, but it does get exhausting if you listen to people and all you keep feeling like is you're all just lying. Yeah. And, and I, like, I feel I, I'm empathetic because I feel like there's so there's the bureaucracy. You can come with this ambition. We need to do all these things. And you face the bureaucracy. and You're like, oh. Totally. And I think also there's a lack of engagement with citizens where they're able to feel like they're, they're Right. can hold their um, uh, their MLA or their um, or their you know city councilor accountable for things that they're doing. I think it's it's something you have to keep track of and and be diligent about if you really want to. But people are tired and are working and mm-hmm. are just trying to get through things day by day. So sometimes it's it's just not that feasible. Um, yeah. yeah. And sometimes that that politic that you were just talking about, you know, in terms of creating the well, nothing really happens. So what? that disillusionment is almost it almost sometimes feels like that's the intention because then people Mm. disengage and stop looking and stop holding to account right and Mm -hmm. you know i i guess i've been someone who um whether it's because of all the different businesses and all the different bureaucracy that i've had to engage on um and all levels of government literally you know three different levels of government you know i've been i've been a big participant because it's like, hey, if I don't like what you're doing, yeah, my vote, my and my active vote, not just going to the the you know the, mm-hmm. the voting booth and, and putting my X down or I think it's a check mark or whatever it is. Uh, um, fill in the circle. Right, fill in the circle. <laughs> but but it's actually no, I'm gonna tell all my friends and I'm gonna I'm gonna mm-hmm. have a town hall with my employees and I'm gonna I'm gonna we're gonna describe and talk about whether it's our city council or whether it's our, you know, a mayoral candidate or whether it's an MLA or whether it's a a premier or Mm -hmm. parties, like I want to engage on that and, and make sure that we're educated enough to know, Hey, who is actually getting stuff done? Right. Mm -hmm. And not just giving us, you know, what we want to hear and I'll give case in point, right. You know, the NDP government right now took away our MSP premiums. And they did mm-hmm. so by putting that as a as an employee health tax onto all businesses. Well, what did mm-hmm. businesses do? Well, I just gave you a two percent raise because now I have to pay two percent tax on every single employee. So my raises are going to be skinnier this year, and we'll see what happens next year. Mm-hmm. You know, it it was transferred or or it was 
put through all the way to the goods that they actually sell. So now everything is a little bit more expensive, but we took away the health tax. Mm. Well, no, mm -hmm. we didn't. Like MSP still is being paid, but now it's being paid through either the consumer goods that we pay, you know, pay for, mm -hmm. or through our own salaries and the lack of of increase in 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 raises. So it's this. Oh wait, and oh, and housing went up by two thousand dollars a year. So <laughs> it's like, no, you didn't fix it. Like this mm. didn't actually get any better for me. And um, and that's the part where it's like, yeah, it's not just about these little tiny things and little tiny promises. It's about the big things. Like, are yeah. you fixing housing? Can I get in to see a GP or, you know, or a specialist when I need to? What what are you doing with mental health? And why are there yeah. some people that are that are lost and wandering, you know, wandering the streets and yeah. preyed upon by vicious, yeah. vicious people? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you you know, I want to I want to jump into that that housing a bit more. That was one of the things that came up a lot. You know, housing has rapidly increased, whether it's home ownership or even just rentals. I mean, in in, yeah. in the Okanagan, I think it's about fifteen hundred dollars a month. The average one bedroom in Vancouver, it's just shy of two thousand dollars. Like these are astronomical numbers. That you know, if you're under twenty five, you know, you you have your student loans. You're you know trying to car payments. Car payments. You're trying to like get a job that. You know, you're, you feel like that education is a whole other conversation that we'll dive yeah. into in the future. And like, and so what are some of the things that we can do, you know, to fix housing in particular and, and the affordability of housing? Oh, there's so much that we can do. Uh, you know, one of my businesses has been um, in land development and real estate over the course of 25 years, but I've also been in construction for about 20 years. Uh, so I definitely understand what we've done with housing and the layering effect of all of the different taxations that go on mm. to houses. Um, so I would do two, well, two things. One is, um, and it's not really one thing, it's like a lot of things in one category, <laughs> um, yeah. but one is get get government out of the way. We have to we have to lessen the burden on new, new housing and not because new housing doesn't wanna pay its way, it's because the equity bump that resale gets without having to pay their way. So I'll give you an example. Uh, development cost charges. Well, yeah, what, what, I'm curious what that means. Yeah, so development cost charges are across the board, right? Um, when a new home is built, you pay development cost charges to whatever municipality that you're in, in BC. Mm -hmm. um, and they're called, they're referred to as DCCs. But development cost charges right now, and I'll use the Okanagan as an example, but I could use the Lower Mainland as an example too. Um, uh, but development cost charges are about $50,000 for every single home. Uh, that right. number goes down a little bit when it's an apartment uh, to maybe, let's say $35,000. Mm -hmm. But the resale condo that is being sold is going to be sold for the same amount as what the new one is being sold, but maybe a little bit discount because it's used and not new, but still about the same amount, but it yeah. didn't have to pay $35,000. The other did, but it didn't, but it, it's appraised value goes up. So there's this indirect inflation that keeps pace with new development. So by, by layering on no, more and more costs and more and more taxes, everything goes up, not just new development. So we've mm -hmm. had this reticence by municipalities to 
lower DCCs because then they have to increase property taxes. But increasing property taxes is actually one of the ways that you can lower the cost of housing and have a, a little bit of a dampening effect on mm -hmm. all costs of housing. But the other thing that we have to focus on um, is supply, supply, supply. Like, mm -hmm. so yes, we have to lower the layering effect of, you know, all the different approvals that housing has to get and all of the different costs that go on to new housing. But we have to get serious about supply. Right now, the NDP's plan of building more houses, even the federal liberals plan of like, we're going to build this many houses in the first, you know, four years. It's like, it's ridiculous. Stop competing against ones who can do it better and faster than you can, which are the developers that are already in the market. What you need to do is actually put the money and put the focus behind the consumer, right? Those that need to mm. buy and those that need to get into those units. So I, I've got a really big housing plan. I've um, basically over the course of the last decade created a housing plan that fixes housing affordability. It doesn't do so by, um, yeah, it doesn't do so by lowering demand and by taxing housing. That is actually the exact opposite of what you want to do because you're not going to quell mm -hmm. demand. You're just going mm -hmm. to take some out that will that really want to be in the market um, and that really need to be in the market. And mm -hmm. uh, and so you have to do so by really increasing supply and by getting serious about lowering uh, the demands on new housing and getting out of the way, getting government out of the way. Hmm. Hmm. I, um, I feel like that is something I, I want to say that will be the solution. But I guess I'm curious about, um, you know, young people being such, they're just, they're not as, um, they don't have as much money in the bank as, um, so, you know, some of their, mm -hmm. their older counterparts. And I'm curious of, you know, kind of getting government out of the way, not having as much, let's say, subsidized support from the government. Will that help empower younger generations? Like, is is that the solution for them? Yeah. So I'm not I'm not against subsidized housing. I'm against um, uh, having government involved in housing affordability. And when I say getting government out of the way, it's um, also in the bureaucracy, in all of the mm -hmm. layering effect. Um, for example, if you're within 800 meters of a highway, you have to have the Ministry of Transportation sign off on your development. Think about highways in the Lower Mainland. How many developments would be farther than 800 meters away from a highway? Like it's it's the the, hmm. the layer and and those those approvals that letter that you're waiting for from from the Ministry of Transportation might take months to get. Hmm. Right. Hmm. So there, there's this, and that's one. Then there's the ALC, the, the Agricultural Land Commission that you might have to have a letter from. You might have to have one from, you know, uh, from Flinrow if you're, you know, anywhere near sort of a, a waterway or, you know, so there's right. just, there's just this layering effect that doesn't have to be done. We could have regional planning exercises that literally carve out, hey, this is where we're going to put density. This is where we're going to put housing. This is where we're going. And if you do a, a development here, you're good. We don't need to see it again. We don't need to give you a letter again. Um, and that's mm. going to increase the speed to actual market. There are other things that government could do that um, like like actually um, start getting behind and start actually um, either helping on the funding side or helping on the on the increased uh, um, uh, expansion side of things like manufactured wall systems which I know sounds like maybe too detailed, but- I've never heard it, of that before. Yeah, can you there, tell us a little bit more about that? There are um, housing companies 
and largely out on the prairies that will build in a in, in a manufacturer facility all of their walls all of their hmm. and then they ship them out completely built huh. so the the actual speed at which they're putting up these buildings is so much faster than what we do in BC and mm -hmm. could be easily done if we actually got behind some of these new innovative companies and mm -hmm. said, yes, we want this because it it, it takes out the elements of, of weather. It takes out the elements of labor. It actually speeds up because you're using the same, you know, labor forces focus. And so you can then get all of these wall systems all the way throughout the province in a really right. fast way. But these right, companies right, right. need help. They need help to scale. They need help to expand. They need help mm -hmm. to, you know, to actually, you know, innovate. And uh, and if the government was more on that side of things, on getting, mm. you know, the businesses activated into that area, I think that we could see some really, really amazing things done. And the ones that don't have to be reinvented. The other thing, though, that I would look at doing is helping on board. And I won't tell you exactly how, but I will say that it's worked in other jurisdictions. There are um, jurisdictions in Europe that have done it very successfully. What, what does helping on board mean? So for young, for young people that do want to, let's say, purchase their first home, there are mm -hmm. ways that we can, as a society, actually see that happen and get behind them so that they don't just have to have what do uh, my kids, so five kids, ages 20 to 25, almost 26. So lots of kids, lots of old kids. A full house. A full house. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what they talk about is, mom, you can't actually buy anything unless, you know, unless you're assisted. And they call it the mm. unassisted buy. That's what you have to focus on, Ma. So we developed a whole program. We got it costed out mm. by a UBC economics professor uh, to actually say, can we do this? And it takes about six years, but we could have everyone um, with the same amount of money, not, not, not more money, not more taxation, but actually the same amount of money um, with a program that could actually help them uh, launch into their first purchases. And, and that equity would be theirs, not someone else's, not something mm. they have to repay, not a loan, not a like, but actual, mm. yeah, actual onboarding. Wow. That, that's something I definitely yeah, want to definitely look into. Heard of yeah. I just looked at the numbers of a mortgage and I'm like, yo, these like houses, the medium, what's like a million dollars. And I'm like, even, you know, my, I work in tech. And so I, I feel incredibly privileged with um, being in that industry, even in the Okanagan, there's a lot of tech there too. And and so like, even for me though, I look at the housing scenario and I'm like, to buy a house is like the amount it requires yeah. is is incredible. It's, and it's a lot. And I will say, you know, your, your kids are, I think your kids are right in terms of, you know, if you really want to be able to buy something in this province, a lot of the time it's, you do need that assistance. And I think I'll say I, I'm, I'm quite lucky that where my, you know, my parents were able to, to buy property and, and I can relatively, you know, because I can, you know, at least be able to take equity from there and, and, and be able to get that prompt. And that's the assistance that I'm kind of vouching on personally. And I think a lot of kids might agree with me there, but um, uh, there's a lot of young people, especially, you know, people of color, indigenous populations, um, where they don't have that same that same equity um, that that exists. And, and I, I think programs like you had just mentioned would could really, you know, support those populations in in, in achieving those those mm -hmm. goals. Um, it's going to yeah. reward. It's going to reward hard work, and it will be the great equalizer. Absolutely, absolutely, something that, uh, yeah, that we really need as a society. 
Can I ask, um, you know, you say it being a great equalizer, do you think that um, this, you know, the whole idea of onboarding, would, would we want to kind of institute that in a way that offers more equitable support or um, kind of levels out everyone and kind of gives the same amount to, to all young people? It, it, it actually rewards young people um, who have jobs, who are contributing to society, who are doing their part um, and not in a way that favors one over another like it's not going to favor someone with a university degree over someone with a trade over someone with it like it actually is going to say no we as a society believe in you we know we have a housing issue we're going to get you into housing and here's how we're going to support you so it's it's actually a very i think a very powerful program mm -hmm. um and you know i, I i've been criticized uh, on this leadership race because i'm like yeah give me four years i can solve mental health um, and uh, and I, I honestly believe I could uh, if with four years as uh, in government, so I'd have to be the premier. Um, and I say, give me six to eight years and I can solve our housing affordability. But it won't take that long to start. It'll start mm. right away, but it'll actually take that long. So we see everything um, in a very, very different light. Mm. I'd love to, if you have it, just like link that in the show notes. I think it'd be really cool to like dive into that program that you're talking about i'd love to <laughs> that and the mental health one too that one i won't let you that one and that one's because okay. it's going to help us win in 2024 it's ca i call it the secret sauce um fair, but, fair uh, enough. but I, can, I can link the other housing ideas i do have a whole housing yeah, platform absolutely. and yeah. uh, and i did have it costed out by a ubc professor just as proof that it exists so cool. Cool, <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah it's, yeah. Uh, it's very exciting and i it's wish i could high. say that i'm super smart and i i totally designed it myself <laughs> i didn't i borrowed from a jurisdiction out uh, in Europe and uh, and tweaked it a little bit and then um, pulled some some ideas from California. So it's it's a tweaked BCized um, program <laughs> that has been very successful in other jurisdictions. That's fantastic. I look uh, I look forward to that Checking when it's out, out when yeah. when Absolutely. when that can be out. <laughs> I want it. I, you know, I wish I could release it right now. Um, I just don't have the I don't have the power to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it would I think it would be something that really needs the yeah, the, the time, love and attention to get it right. all the way through. Hmm. Yeah. Sustainability. Um, it's been a, a wild year wild like you know 18 months yeah. from forest fires uh you know Lytton um Merritt being evacuated fully and then also you know three months later for floods um the heat dome that, I mean, tsunami's like, happening. the tsunami warning this morning even um you know there's just a significant amount of events occurring from the flooding and, and all these things that are impacting a lot of people and um, yeah. for a long time, it leaves people with a lot of concern and fear and it, and it comes in a few parts. So I'm gonna dive to, through a few of them real quick, but you know, one of them is like, should I still live here? Is sort of a, a conversation I've heard is like, you know, what if I just bought a home in Merritt or, you know, like now I'm evacuated the, the equity, who's gonna wanna buy that from me? Those sorts of things, yeah. but also, um, the infrastructure, the supply chains, you know, I was in the Okanagan when the Coquihalla and, and uh, Highway 3 went out and uh, within the day, like the grocery stores were empty. And I was shocked that that happened so fast. And, um, you know, I remember being in the grocery store and I was, I was staring at the shelves and I was like, well, I don't want to like panic buy, 
but I was supposed to be gone and then I couldn't drive. So I'm like, I have nothing in my house. Right. And it was bizarre to see everything. It was like, there was like two cans of tuna left. And I was like, this Terrifying. is wild. Yeah. Um, and so I guess the question there is like, you know, what are some of the things that we can do to increase sustainability, um, particularly around sort of infrastructure and supply chains? So, um, you know, I I was talking with my kids uh, recently over Christmas and I just said, like, Mother Earth is groaning. Like, we need to pay attention. We need to listen to her. Um, and and I, I, I take that very seriously. I, 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 I heed that. You know, I was a founding member of the Okanagan Sustainability Leadership Council, and it's something that I have rabidly pursued over the course of my career and it's something that I wholeheartedly believe in and um, you know with respect to like supply chain issues and and that we need to build redundancy and it's something that we have not been good at doing Wait, so, can you what do you mean by that yeah build redundancy for sure so where we have isolated um, isolated uh, portions of our population, we need to have contingency plans that already anticipate those issues. And we have not done that in the past. And when I was on some of those emergency calls, I was like, we have an entire airplane, you know, um, industry, airline industry that has not been used to the same capacity because we're not allowed to travel. Mm -hmm. Why would we not? be starting to move people on government funded airlines so that we actually don't stop everything. Why wouldn't we reroute all of our, you know, um, whether it was our semis or, and, and they were trying, they, you know, they got Highway 3 open and they said only for essential travel, which really meant semis. Uh, so, I mean, they were trying to do some of that, but it was so, we were so on our heels. We were such in a defended position rather than in something where it's like, oh, wait, we know what to do here. We know how to we know how to deal with this eventuality. And it's something that in business you always do. Like your emergency readiness is always on point. You have, you know, ERM systems that are ready to go from start to finish on any eventuality. And, you know, you're in the tech industry. So in the tech industry, it's all about cybersecurity. It's all about what do we do in these situations? You would have a full plan from any business that would be able to be executed mm -hmm. upon. Um, we do not have that in NBC. And this NDP government, I don't even know if they believe in it. And it was horrific to watch as not one, not two, but three emergencies rolled through our province every single one of them we were on our heels and someone said well mm -hmm. renee don't be so critical i mean honestly they're doing their best and i'm like are they because california oregon and washington had the same heat dome that we did and had a fraction of the deaths why wow because we didn't open up cooling stations what did Oregon do? They were sounding the alarm bell. They said, Washington sounded the alarm bell. They said, we have cooling stations that are open. We want you to come stay the night here. Do not stay in your home if you are a senior citizen, if you are living alone, if you do not have air conditioning, like you will not be safe. They were sounding the alarm bell. Our government was giddy about having released everyone on July 1st in stage three and forgot to mention the heat dome. Seniors didn't hmm. even know that they were literally cooking in their apartments. The 
emergency response. Like we, we, we had so few ambulance drivers trying to get to these people. I had ambulance drivers reaching out to me, tears streaming down these grown men, you know, men's faces saying, I can't go to one more call. I can't go to one more call where I see someone who died who didn't need to die. Mm-hmm. Like that's where we need like, yes, our, our response on whether it's supply chain, whether it's, you know, emergency readiness and response needs to be so much faster. The, the flood, Sumas, or the, sorry, in the Sumas prairies, they found out that they were about to be flooded because they heard the sirens across the border in the U.S. side. That's how farmers figured out that they actually needed to get their livestock to higher ground. But Washington had alerted those farmers 48 hours earlier, and we did not. Hmm. Like, that makes no sense to me. Like, none. And I'm sitting on a Zoom call with with MLA Bruce Bandman from Abbotsford, who says, what if the Nooksack actually breaks its banks? And it was like seven Zoom faces in blank stares from seven different departments in, in the province going, huh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. We don't think it's going to happen. And it did so less it's than so 24 dead. hours later. Like, wow. that yeah. cannot happen. Now, as not, we, oh, sorry, I, uh, if we actually treated climate change with the emergency aspect that it is, we would mm-hmm. have emergency readiness plans for all of this, right? And with mm. respect to fires, we need to have you know, we need to be looking at our whole forestry management system way differently. We need to have like an air force for fires and we should be profiting NBC from this air force by sending them down to Australia during the off season. And, you know, we literally have companies off of Van- in Vancouver Island who are supplying to California. We should have that $4 billion worth of infrastructure here fighting our fires. And if we did that, we would not have the amount of damage to our forestry sector. We would not have the floods that we saw that, you know, sure, we'd have some of them, but we wouldn't have all of them. And if we actually built our infrastructure properly, we would look more like Europe does when it floods, which is, Mm -hmm. have you ever looked at a a flood aerial photo of Europe? All of their roadways, all of their rail systems are still high. Hmm. Why? Because they use them as levees. They use them as barriers for flooding. So if we did that, if we had that thoughtfulness with all of our infrastructure, with all of our supply chains, with all of our economy, with all of our, if we actually layered, what does environmental sustainability look like here? Mm -hmm. We would be, we wouldn't see the amount of emergencies. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be so flat footed. Um, and we wouldn't have lost, you know, hundreds of thousands of livestock the way we did. And we wouldn't see the same inflationary pressures on on our food and food security issues that we that we currently do if we had done a better job. Right. And I guess I want to follow up with that is where are the, where are the gaps? Like where 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 is the challenges of that mm-hmm. knowledge transfer? Because I feel like we're we have brilliant researchers here. We have a lot of um, yeah. incredible resources um, and there are solutions to these issues. And I think we're all bought in. We need them. Yeah. I'm I don't think that's up for, <laughs> for debate by anybody. I think that's that we can all agree that these things yeah. are serious. They're happening. Um, 
what but what what's 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 the what are the challenges do you think that this government is facing in 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 making these things happen i mean i i don't i don't want to believe that anyone wants anyone to die like i don't think that's the intention but there must be serious gaps in the system what can you kind of name some of those for us absolutely um political will and then outcomes outcomes measurement I, I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's maybe an oversimplification. I totally yeah. agree with you. I don't think that anyone wants anyone to die. I do not no. believe that that is a that that would be a a, a, a success indicator of anyone. Um, and in fact, it's such a tragedy. It is such a such a tragedy. But I think that you can be well intentioned. You can have even great ideas. But if you cannot actually implement those ideas with enough political will and understanding to, to know how to still balance your budget at the end of it, or even spend into oblivion like we are in the last two years, you, you're you not gonna get it done. You're not what, gonna get what, it done. And you... we, we think about politics and politicians and, and government as this like, well, they're just, they get so much done. And it's like, when it's failing, it's failing. And the way you know yeah. it's failing is things are not getting done. And that's where we're at right now. I mean, we haven't even touched healthcare, but we can touch healthcare next. I, I mean, yes, from a sustainability perspective, from a health security, or from a food security, from a, from an infrastructure, from a, you know, from a from an energy sector. Like, mm-hmm. you know, who the number one firefighters were for us this this summer? Our yeah. forestry sector. Mm-hmm. Our forestry yeah. sector was out there with, like billions of dollars of iron trying desperately to save some of their cut blocks and save the rest of the forest. And mm. it's it's no wonder we burned this last year four times the amount that we would harvest in one year. Wow. It's burnt. Like, mm-hmm. and the carbon footprint of that burn, oh my goodness, the carbon that was released is the equivalent of 10 years of all of bc's emissions oh so fighting fires that's good for the air it's good for our environment it's Mm -hmm. good for our globe like we need to do a better job but it's also good for our energy sector because we're not just needlessly burning things that Mm -hmm. actually could be utilized in a very positive way so yes sustainability it needs to be a layer and a lens that we look at absolutely everything we do through Can you tell I'm passionate about these? Things? I know, yeah. I love yeah. it. I mean, I really love to see it, and I, I, I guess I, I want to, um, I, 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 I want to kind of go dwell deeper in, in the that concept of of the lack of, or you know, the challenges of political will. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm I'm curious to hear a little bit more about what you think about that in terms of um, you you're working. You know, government is is never just you know a singular body or a single person really kind of pushing things forward. Ultimately, you're working in a team of, of different people who have different ideological perspectives. Um, do you feel like it's there's a, a bit of a clash of those those different ideological um, like those those partisan parties being able to make things happen? Is that the political challenge, or do you feel like it's it's one single party that there's that lack of and, will? And also, just a quick description of political will. Yes. Like what that means. Sure. Like um, every every political party that is in government that has power um, has to have the necessary and um, political will or desire to uh, to spend in those areas and to to actually make it happen. Um, and, you know, political will is is like the motivation 
for right. a government. And uh, oftentimes, you know, political will can just be the public where where you know, what does the public want? Where are we going? And how can I, you know, give them, you know, give them exactly what they want and how they want it. And it's like that that populist approach is not going to work. We need actually a government that understands how to move things forward and how a longer range vision. So two issues that I would say um, that we have to overcome right now, it's not partisanship because we have one we have one party that is in control of everything. Whatever decide whatever they decide, they make happen. And uh, right now, uh, you know, they're not even allowing certain due process in the House to take place. I mean, they're calling uh, certain bills uh, to vote before they've ever gone through committee process, uh, which is really, really dangerous and very scary. So, no, the NDP do not have or a lack of power. They are in control and they have complete power right now. Um, so it's not partisanship. What I would say um, in terms of actually moving things forward is, uh, you know, twofold. One is we've got a very siloed government. So not not the politicians, but somewhat the politicians. And I'll give we'll use mental health as an example mm -hmm. in mental health to create a complex housing treatment facility. You need housing and the, the Ministry of Housing to come forward. You need the Ministry of Health to come forward and you need the Ministry of Mental Health all to be working in lockstep. Mm -hmm. It sounds so easy, but it's really not. Yeah. You know, the the way that we have set up government and 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 in the tech industry, this is foreign because you set up like, you know, um, agile teams cross -functional that work on functional teams. Yep, yeah, the, the cross functional, you all, you know, come together, you 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 go apart as soon as you've accomplished what you're you've set goals that are two week in increments and oh my goodness, if we ran government agile, oh, we would get so much done. We get so much done, but right now we don't. Everything is in its own silo, in its own budget, in its own. Um, there was a situation just recently in which a municipality had come forward with a piece of land and said to the Ministry of Education, we want this land to be amenity rich. We want to put a rec center here. We want to put a school here and we could actually do it for less than what your normal schools cost you. And but we need an answer back because we want to move forward with this project right away. Three different levels of provincial government or not levels, silos of provincial government. They could not they could not come to a decision. So that piece of land is not going to be used in a multidisciplinary way. It's just going to be a rec center with a big, huge field. Like that's so, ridiculous how, how, to me. It's ridiculous. So what's to what's me. the alternative, right? Because like, um, how do how do you approach? Because again, everyone looks at that and is like, that that's not a viable solution. Like having this you know bureaucracy doesn't work right I, I think no one's gonna look at that situation and be like no they shouldn't have built that stuff right <laughs> right like if if it's cheap like all those things like assuming all those boxes get checked what is the alternative like what can we do um and what are like your thoughts on like how do you approach you know say you win this leadership race you win 2024 what does government look like you have teams you have teams, you absolutely can, you have to do whatever is the lowest cost and best outcome. So you, you know, in that particular situation, it should have been fast tracked through a budgetary system. The finance committee should have said, yes, absolutely. Let's 
let's put this that might be number nine on our top 10 priority list. Let's put it up to number one because we have an opportunity right now to spend less money in the long run for taxpayers and get a better outcome, which is what we want, right? But that we don't measure outcomes. We don't measure mm. outcomes in government. We just, mm. we dole out money and all of a sudden a school appears, all of a sudden a hospital appears. Like there's no one that says, if we have this many patients that can't get care from this many, like then we have to, we have to, do something different. Like, no, mm -hmm. we just accept it. And we as the BC population just keep accepting and accepting and accepting. And it's like, no, it can be different. So what does 2024 look like for me? Mm -hmm. Way more cross-disciplinary, way more interconnected and way less bureaucracy. We need to get rid of about 40% of the bureaucrats. 40%? Oh yeah, wow. we have added the, the NDP government has added in four and a half years over 100,000 positions. They've increased the size of government by almost 40%. That increase in government costs taxpayers $10 billion a year on a $50 billion a year budget. Hmm. That wow. is astronomical. Yes. And that's not... That's not contributing to our GDP. That's not actually like part of our economy. Those are jobs that are just paid for by taxpayers hmm. before we have wow. really good services, right? So if I had, if I felt like everyone was saying, yes, we have 40% better services. Oh my goodness, way better services. <laughs> I don't yeah. hear that. I don't hear that right. at all. Right, right. Uh, I wanna be, you know, in, in, in closing, um, I'm curious, you know, what's the one thing you really want people watching this to walk away from? Yeah. Walk uh -huh. away with from this? Well, I would say just get involved. Um, understand, learn, get activated, get loud, get noisy, use your voices um, and, and be inspired. Fight for what you want and for the future that you want and for the future that you desire. You know, I, I'm saying that to your, your listenership who I assume is younger than I am, but I say that even to my demographic. Like, stop just accepting what we're given and start actually being inspired by where you want to go and by what you see for society as a whole. You know, I want the best outcomes for British Columbians. That's, mm -hmm. that's what I want. Um, and I'm passionate about it. And I'm going to keep trying to change the system and change, you know, change how government is done in order to, to get us there. But ultimately, government is nothing without people. Like right. the power is there um, right. and that's where we need to all be educated, engaged and activated and loud. So that, that I mean, if I was to leave with some, <laughs> some level of inspiration, it would be that. And everyone can be successful. Absolutely everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Yeah, Renee, thank you so much for uh, for hopping on today. And thanks for being, you know, accommodating the virtual <laughs> side of this too. Seriously. Uh, where, uh, where can people find you? Um, so for right now with my campaign, they can definitely go online. Um, and it's reneemerryfield.ca is my website. So that's, that's a really great way to, to contact me. After the leadership race though, I'm, I am, my ears are open, I am listening. And the one thing that I love to do is hear from people because um, ultimately that's who runs this, uh, this province of ours. So um, you can also reach me at renee.maryfield.mla because I am a sitting MLA right now at ledge.bc.ca. 
Um, so reach out, let me know what you think <laughs> and where you want to go and what you, what matters to you most. And uh, I do respond. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those that is super keen and just loves to, yeah. These are the things we like to hear. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Renee. You guys are awesome. Thanks for thanks for being loud and for for getting the conversations going and important conversations, uh, really really important conversations. So thanks. 